Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from beekeeper Bob Simbolin. Bob grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and graduated from the University of Toledo with a degree in business administration. In 1985, he took a job that moved his family to California, where they still live today. Bob is the owner of a business called Simcoe Sales and Marketing, which sells products like china, silverware, and glassware to the food service industry. He's been in that industry for over 25 years, but one of his side interests is beekeeping. He started keeping bees in 2011 and harvests honey twice a year, which he sells and gifts to family and friends. Everyone loves his honey. In fact, he has more customers than honey to sell. In the episode, Bob shares the health benefits of honey, royal jelly, and propolis, why bees are critical to the health of the planet, some fascinating facts about queen bees, and more. Do me a favor. While you're listening, take a selfie, post it to social media, tag me at The Health Investment, and let me know your takeaways. I love seeing you in action and learning your favorite parts of each episode. All right, it's time to hear from Bob. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one, so visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Just a little bit of background information for listeners. I first met you. You're one of my good friend's fathers, and I met you at his housewarming party and found out that you were a beekeeper and just picked your brain for, I think, over an hour, and you were so kind to answer all of my questions. So I'm grateful to have you here today on the Health Investment Podcast so that you can share everything you shared with me, with my listeners. And I know it's going to be super interesting. Thank you, Brooke. I'm really excited to be here. Would you mind by starting out and sharing your story and your background with everybody, um, specifically what led you to become a beekeeper in the first place? Sure. I grew up in Ohio, and I still go back there a couple times a year to visit family and friends. And on one of my trips back there, I visited a good friend of mine who lives out in the country. And while I was there, he wanted to show me what uh, the latest addition to the farm was. And it turned out it was a beehive. So we stood and watched the hive entrance and the bees come and go. And he told me about all this delicious golden honey that they extracted and how they did it. And it brought back memories of 
being a kid and seeing those mysterious white boxes out in the field that my mother told me I couldn't go near or bother, which of course made them even more intriguing. <laughs> and uh, we uh, stood there for a while, talked about it. And then when I got back to California, uh, we had recently moved to a location that had a little bit more space to it, about an acre and a half. And so I asked my wife what she would think of the idea of putting a couple of beehives out on our hill. And my wife, uh, you know, she married me, so she's a gamer. And she said, sure, I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be fun. So I kind of th forgot about it. I didn't really do anything more. And then lo and behold, for Christmas that year, Santa Claus brought me a startup beekeeping set. So I had a hive box and I had a smoker and I had a hive tool and I had uh, pretty much everything that you would need to start up as a beekeeper except the bees. And so I uh, did what uh, a lot of people do when they don't know where to get something. I went online and searched how to get bees and found, uh, bought a beekeeping for dummies book, found an apiary in Georgia that sells packages of bees and queens and ordered my first package of bees. So what exactly comes in that do-it-yourself kit? Is it everything included in there except the bees? <laughs> Pretty much. I, I still needed to get a suit, uh, some gloves. Um, but no, she had gotten me the bee box and smoker and the bottom board, top board, and all the things, some, some frames that the the honeybees use inside the bee box to build comb on and and pretty much everything so i just needed the bees do you think she's ever regretted that purchase to this no <laughs> no no she she uh she enjoys it she thinks it's fun she helps me when it comes honey extracting time so no she's into it did you have any nervousness as the bees were being shipped to you about what you were getting into or you were just ready for it? Well, I was ready for it. I was excited. They overnight the package of bees. I didn't really know what to expect. I can still remember the UPS guy walking down my driveway with his arms stretched out in front of him holding a wooden box that had a screen around it with the three pound package of bees. And he came up the driveway and he said, I know they're alive because I can still hear them buzzing. <laughs> uh. And uh, I took the bees from him. And in a three pound package of bees, there's roughly 12 to 13,000 bees and one queen. Um, and I took the box that they were delivered in, and now I had to figure out how to get them into my bee box. So I put my suit on, and I put my uh, veil on, and my heavy gloves, and my boots, and I didn't really know quite what to expect when I was going to open up this can of 12,000 bees 
to put them into my bee box, uh, but I was ready for anything. So I slowly opened up the box and then took three giant steps back to wait to see what was gonna happen. And lo and behold, slowly a few of the bees crawled up towards the opening and they just kind of stopped and they, they were looking around like, wow, we're not in Georgia anymore. <laughs> so I quickly realized that they were as confused and unsure about what was going to happen and what was happening as I was. So I uh, gently picked up the package of bees and shook them out into my bee box and uh, put the lid on, the bottom board on, uh, put a feeder of sugar syrup uh, on the, the hive box for them for food to get started and put the queen in there with them. Um, and I was uh, a beekeeper. I think as you described this, I've seen it in videos or something somewhere, but is it kind of, it's not like you open the box and they all just fly away. They, you can kind of just dump them in, right? They all just kind of stay. Right. Yeah. The bees are pretty, they have no home essentially. And so they're, they're clustered together. Um, they don't have anything to defend, so they're not aggressive at all. And uh, so it's pretty easy process to shake the bees into a bee box and, and get them set up. So why are bees, why are those bees not aggressive, but then a bee bothering you around your food or something is aggressive? Is it because it's defending, it wants that food or something? <laughs> well, the, the, there's a few reasons. Some bees are by nature more aggressive. I think everyone's heard of the Africanized honeybee. And that, that bee by nature is just much more aggressive than a typical uh, European honeybee, which is what we have in the United States mostly. Um, and yes, bees will defend their home. So if you uh, disturb their, their nest, then they have bees that are de designated to defend the nest and they will uh, attack and come after you. But typically, if bees are foraging for, for food, so you see them on flowers, they aren't really interested in humans. And the only way you would usually get stung is if you happen to bump into one of them by accident. So they, a lot of times they'll fly and get stuck in somebody's hair or something like that, and they'll get stung. Or if you, uh, intentionally disturb them or kind of you know try to chase them off waving your arms that kind of thing mm, i see so it's really more we're the ones pissing them off <laughs> <laughs> pretty much they really have no interest in people they're they're really more interested in collecting nectar and pollen and the only time they're going to be aggressive is if you're disturbing their nest yeah so it's just, yeah, I mean, I don't love bees, but I do think that the calmer I am, and if you're just sitting there, they just kind of fly around you or even land on you and go away. It's not like they're aggressively trying to come sting you. Correct. But then everybody starts swinging at it. So then that's what really probably makes yeah. it mad. <laughs> <laughs> it can, yeah, that can, that can cause it to, to be, to get a little angry or uh, kind of, feel like it's being attacked. 
So when you have, let's say, people over to your home to eat outside or something, are there more bees around than usual because of your hives? Yes. I have right now eight hives at my home and a full strength, strong hive will have 50 to 60,000 bees in it. So 50,000 times eight hives is a lot of bees. Yeah. Uh, so just by the, by having that many bees so close, I just am going to have more bees at my house than typically other people are going to have at their house. Um, but again, they're really, they, I, I notice them when they're foraging for food. And sometimes I also have a built-in pool and that can be a little problematic. Mm, I see. Uh, what about your neighbors? How do they feel about the bees? Uh, I make sure that I give my neighbors honey from my bees <laughs> as a uh, token of my appreciation in case they're bothered at all by them. But they all, no one's ever told me that they are, that they have a problem with it. So it's, uh, it's not been a problem. And again, I live in an area where I have some space for the bees to to operate in. Mm. How much honey do your bees produce? I extract honey twice a year, typically once in the spring, sometime end of June, and then once in the fall, typically sometime before Thanksgiving. The spring harvest is the largest harvest and this past spring, because we had such a great wet winter here in California last winter, um, there was lots of, of flowers and food for the bees in the springtime. So I extracted 150 pounds of, of honey this spring. Now honey's heavy, so that equated to about mm, 40 quarts of honey or so, something like that. Wow. And then do you usually give it away or do you sell it? Both. I sell it as well as give it away. I sold quite a bit of it, but typically I have more people asking me for honey than I have to sell. I give, uh, I give it away as gifts. And uh, of course, my family members all expect to receive their allotment of honey as well. <laughs> Yeah, between the family members and the neighbors, you probably have very little left to sell after that. Right. I sell it in quart jars and 16 ounce or one pound squeeze bottles. So that's oh, wow. the two content types of containers that I, that I sell. I sell the quarts for 20 and the 16 ounce squeeze bottles for 10. Um, there's about two and a half of the squeeze bottles in a quart jar. So the quarts are a better deal, if you will. And um, yeah, I've got people asking me all the time if I have any honey available for sale. It's delicious. Yeah. So when you harvest it, do you just pour it into the jars and that's it? Or do you have to do anything to kind of make it edible? Uh, it's a couple day process. The first is to pull the frames out of the hive and get all the bees off of the frames that contain the honey and bring that I, I use i bring i don't have a honey house i have to do it all in indoors in my house so i bring it all inside 
make sure all the bees are gone. And then I have a extractor. It's a round stainless steel metal tub with a motor on it that holds four frames. And the frames of honey have a wax cap over each cell that I take a hot knife and remove that wax cap off of the cell exposing the honey and then take that frame and put it into the extractor and when the motor spins those frames the honey flies out of the cells up against the walls of the extractor it comes down and collects in the bottom of the extractor that has a valve on it and i uh, open the valve the honey comes out i put it through a strainer to remove uh, wax and any bee parts or anything that's in there that I don't want, the larger pieces, if you will. And I put it in a five gallon food grade uh, bucket. And after I do all of that, I then take a, uh, a cheesecloth or a paint strainer cloth, something that's more fine, a finer strain. And I then strain it one more time through that to get any other remaining bits and pieces, usually little pieces of wax or what's left. And uh, after I do that, then I um, bottle it into the quart jars and the 16 ounce jars, and it's good to go. Is that the time that the bees get most upset when you take their honey away? Is that the time you're most likely to get stung? Um, well, anytime you open the hive is a time when you can most likely get stung just because you're disturbing the hive in general and they, they don't really like that. So it's not that I'm removing the honey from the hive that it upsets them as much. It's just the fact that you're in there and you're pulling the hive apart and disturbing the hive that gets them upset. But I, I give them a little smoke to help calm them down. And, um, and uh, I usually don't have too, too many problems. Oh, is that, that's what the smoke is for, to calm them down? Well, the smoke uh, interferes with their attack pheromone. Um, oh. If a bee, when a bee stings, it lets off a pheromone that basically tells all of her sisters to come here and sting as well. And um, so it interferes with that attack pheromone. Also, it's believed that in, in nature, when there's a forest fire and the bees uh, smell smoke or smoke comes into the, the nest, the hive, they immediately instinctively start to gorge themselves with honey. And then that is because in case the forest fire burns their home up and they have to leave, then they've filled themselves with as much food to last them until they can find a new home. So this, the smoking them imitates that forest fire, if you will. And so the bees immediately start to gorge themselves with honey. And of course, while they're doing that, they are not going to be stinging you. So the combination of those things, the interference with the pheromone, as well as them 
gorging themselves with honey uh, helps to keep them from from stinging. That's fascinating. If you didn't take their honey out twice a year, could you just leave them out there or do you have to do that? No, you can leave it. Honey won't spoil. Um, they famously have gone into Egyptian tombs and found honey that they say is still edible, although I've never tried <laughs> to do that. But uh, it, it, it doesn't spoil. So you, you can leave the honey in there. Um, and whenever the bees need it, then they remove the wax cap and, and consume it. So the pollen is the protein um, for bees to consume, and the honey is the carbohydrate for them to consume. Hmm. So it won't kind of overflow with honey if you don't harvest it? They'll just naturally maintain it? Well, what happens is sometimes the uh, the hive will become what the term is called honey bound, where the bees are just bringing in so much honey that they run out of space for the queen to lay eggs. And when that starts to help it uh, happen, um, it also it it triggers a swarm um, instinct where the bees are running out of space, so they figure they have to find a new home uh, with more space and the bees will swarm, which a beekeeper really doesn't want them to do because you lose essentially half of your bees when they swarm. Uh, but it's an instinct that the, it's a strong instinct for bees. And that's how bees uh, procreate in, in nature. They, they, they swarm by uh, creating a new queen and then the the old queen in the hive takes roughly half the bees and swarms and goes to find a new set up a new a new home. Oh, so if you do you have to keep buying new hives for them? Um yes, uh new hive boxes. Um I I inevitably though my my bees will typically swarm uh, because I, I just don't have space to keep adding new hives to my apiary. I'm looking actually for, and I have found a couple of, of folks that, that want me to put bees on their property uh, for, for great fruit. They're great for fruit trees and, and uh, uh, gardens. And, you know, so people like having, having some bees on their property if they have the right setup. Um, so uh, I am going to move some of my bees to uh, to a couple other locations. Or could you start to sell them, like where you initially bought them from to begin with? You could start to sell bees? Yeah, I never really have gotten into selling bees. It's just, again, as I have limited amount of time to devote to it, so I, I, uh, I haven't gotten into selling bees to other people. Right. So what does it take from you daily to be a beekeeper? Do you have to do something daily or is it really just when you harvest the honey, that's when you have to do the upkeep? Well, it is seasonal. Uh, bees are pretty self-sufficient for the most part. You don't have to really do too much for them. Um, and in the summer here, when it's really hot, I pretty much just leave them alone. I figure that if I'm irritable because it's so hot, the bees are probably irritable if I go <laughs> and disturb mm. them as well. 
So I leave them alone. Um, right about now is, in fact, I just went in and took a look at my hives over the weekend to see what was going on because we're getting into a dearth where there's just not much food available for them. And I went down there and watched the entrances for a while. And sure enough, there weren't, none of the bees were bringing in any pollen. I couldn't see any pollen coming in. So that tells me that sure enough, there's not much food out there for them. And so I open up the hive to take a look around, see what's going on. Um, and there, there wasn't much pollen in the hive. So I've, I've, I purchased a pollen substitute, um, mm. a pollen patty as it's called. And I add some of that pollen patty to the hive to try and give them a little bit of a boost. Mm. Plus I, I take my bees to almonds for pollination in the spring. And so I wanna try and keep my hive strength up strong over the winter months when the bees are typically not, the hives aren't as strong in the winter months. They, since there's not as much food, the queen is not laying as many eggs. So the hive strength dwindles. Well, I try to keep my hive strength up because I want my hives strong uh, in early February when it's time to start thinking about moving them up to the almond orchards. I see. So it sounds like there's only one queen bee per hive. There is, just like uh, just like home, only one queen per <laughs> per household. So how does a bee become the queen? Uh, committee. <laughs> no, the bees, um, the, the queen gives off a pheromone, which travels throughout the hive. And when that pheromone starts to weaken, the bees instinctively start to know that the queen is failing and they need to uh, start thinking about replacing her. Huh. So they will... Um, start to feed some of the uh, larvae uh, royal jelly and keep feeding that certain larvae royal jelly, which allows the reproductive organs to develop in the bee and she becomes a queen. Wow, so does the queen ever leave the hive? The queen leaves the hive uh, once, basically. After she hatches out, she will take a uh, a mating flight. So the the hive will typically make three or four or multiple queen cells, and the first queen to hatch out after about 16 days is how long it takes for a queen to develop and hatch out. The first queen who hatches out will actually go around and kill the other queens in their queen cells. Wow. So she remains the only queen in the hive. And then she will take a uh, maiden flight, her mating flight. Uh, she will fly to an area called a drone congregation area, DCA. And it's basically where all the boy bees are hanging out, waiting for the queens to show up so they can mate. And the, the queen will mate with 
15 to 25 drones. The drone will die after he mates with the queen. And then she will return to the hive to usually stay there until she dies. Wow. And her job then is to lay eggs. The stronger the hive, the more bees you have in that hive, the, the more resistant it is against viruses, bugs, bad things that would come into the hive that would hurt it. So the stronger the queen is, the better of a layer she is, the more eggs she lays, the stronger the hive is, uh, the healthier typically the hive is. So she can lay in the springtime anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 eggs a day. What? To make that hive strong. Wait, for how many days? Pretty much uh, the, the, uh, the spring months uh, <laughs> for two, three months. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's a worker, that's but crazy. that's all she does. So when you see a queen in the hive, she will typically have five or six attendants facing her and taking care of her. They feed her, they groom her. Uh, even when she defecates, they take that away. Uh, so they do everything for her and her sole purpose is to be an egg laying machine. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Can you tell, looking in, which one's the queen? Yes, she's typically a couple, two times larger than an average worker bee, um, which, by the way, are all female. So hmm. the hive is really made up of mostly female uh, bees, worker bees. There's three kinds of bees in the in the hive. There's the queen, the worker bee, which is always female and drones, which are the male bees. And the female bees, uh, the workers, they do everything. They, they bring food into the hive. They take care of the queen. They, re they make repairs on the hive when it's needed. They defend the hive. The, the worker bees, the females, are the only ones that have a stinger. The drones, the male bees, do not, they don't even have a stinger. Hmm. So, um, the uh, the queen bee uh, has attendants and they take care of her and that's pretty much all she does. So I would also imagine that, I mean, her singular job is to lay eggs, so she doesn't really need to leave the hive, but you want to really, they want to really protect her also because the more she would leave, the more chance it would be that she would die just suddenly. Right. Anytime a bee leaves the hive, it's, it's uh, taking a chance. And that's why 
um, that's the last stage in a in a honeybee's life is to go out and forage. Um, mm. When they uh, chew their way, so the the queen lays an egg in a cell about the size of a piece of rice, and that's actually what it looks like. It's a white egg in the bottom of the cell, um, and then the bees put some royal jelly in there after it turns into a little larva. Um, they they cap that cell and then after about 21 days the worker bee will chew its way through that wax capping and be a, a adult bee um, and their first job is to clean out that cell that they just hatched from and then they go from there to being a nurse bee where they take the care of the other brood that's in the hive and uh, they attend to the queen, like I mentioned. And then they, their other job move from there as they start to mature. After about 12 days or 18 days, they'll start to take the nectar and honey from the field bees. So the field bees come in loaded down with nectar and honey uh, or nectar and pollen and, the, and the, the, the house bees will take that from them so they can go right back out again to uh, collect and and then finally uh, they will have the job of protecting the hive um, they'll stand out on the entrance and protect it from uh, things that they don't want coming in to come in or if uh, somebody like me comes along and decides to open up the hive uh, they they come after me mm -hmm. and then the last job is to go out as a field bee and collect the nectar and pollen and bring it back to the hive. So they have very defined jobs throughout their lifespan. How long does the queen usually live? The queen typically should last uh, two years um, in, in a hive uh, for a beekeeper. And then out in the wild, they can last longer than that. Uh, maybe even up to four years or five years, but typically uh, a couple of years. Hmm. What would happen, because you said that the queen usually kind of slowly dies, but what would happen if they died suddenly? Would the hive just fall apart? Uh, well, they would quickly go into emergency uh, queen making mode. So the hive would not fall, fall apart, but they would quickly recognize that the pheromone is gone from their queen, and that would immediately trigger them to start uh, raising uh, replacement queens. And they can last, again, it only takes 16 days to hatch out a new queen. So they can, they can last that amount of time without a queen. Oh, interesting. So basically bees are brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> They're highly organized. Um, they're fascinating. They're very clean. They don't defecate in the hive. They, they're, uh, they, they're, uh, they're just fascinating to, to watch and to, to learn about. Yeah. I've heard you mentioned royal jelly, and then you obviously spoke about the honey, and then I've also heard of propolis. Can you explain the difference between the three? And then if you know if any of them have health benefits for human consumption? Sure. Um, 
first, honey is something we're all familiar with, and it's amazing that it can actually have health benefits and still taste so good, unlike many things that we uh, <laughs> we find to be healthy. Um, but uh, honey is high in antioxidants. Uh, some folks will use it for um, healing wounds medically. They, they've used it. Um, it has anti-inflammatory properties associated with it. So it's a, it's a very healthy product. And I, uh, there's two things that uh, are, differentiate my honey from, say, a store-bought honey, and that is heating it, overheating it, and over-filtering it. In commercial operations, and I visited one, um, they run the honey through all these processing tubes. Well, to make the honey run through these pipes, essentially, more quickly, they heat it up to a higher temperature. And then as it runs through these pipes, they filter it multiple times, and they fine filter it. And what that unfortunately does is take out all the good things that honey naturally has to offer. The, primarily the uh, pollen and, um, and the different enzymes in it. Um, and so then they bottle it. Well, I don't heat my honey and I only filter it to take out some of the large pieces of, of honey or of, uh, of pollen and, and uh, wax. So um, it's much more healthy and, uh, and it's, it's been used for a whole variety of, of things. Um, propolis is is interesting because it's like the honeys or the the honeybees duct tape. Mm. They use it to fix everything. It's very sticky, and um, it it uh, does have some health benefits. I have not used it for uh, for anything for health benefits wise, but I know it's beekeepers. It's it's tough to work with because it's super sticky. It just glues everything together. Um, but I try not to remove it because um, um, the, the bees use it inside, inside the hive quite a bit. And then royal jelly. Royal jelly is something that the, is fed to the larva, to the young bees. It's, uh, it's food for them. It's kind of a white milky substance that they secrete from glands in their head, actually. Um, usually... Worker bees are only fed royal jelly for three days, but uh, when it comes to making a queen, they continue to feed the queen that royal jelly, and that helps to, like I said, allow those uh, reproductive organs to develop in the queen. Mm, interesting. So do you harvest the royal jelly or just the honey? Just the honey. Okay. Because I know that I've seen at farmers markets and things, people will sell honey and royal jelly and propolis. But does that right. kind of take away, is that kind of bad to take that away from the bees? Uh, I don't think so, as long as you're managing it properly. Oh, okay. I, I have not done it uh, only because there's more involved. It, it takes more time and effort and I've got my hands full just with the honey. Right, right. I'm sure. So, uh, 
the propolis, I think I read somewhere, it almost also can be like the bee's antibiotic. Have you heard about that? Yes, um, it, it can be. And uh, it's been used throughout history for health benefits and an antibiotic. Um, so yeah, it, it, it does. I don't know exactly how the bees use it that way. I've only seen them use it for blocking up any kind of holes in the hive or to, for basic hive repair. Like I mm. said, a duct tape. <laughs> yeah, right. That's interesting. So to get the highest quality honey, it sounds like store-bought honey, unless you're at maybe a specialty store where you know it's straight from the hives or something, it's best to get the least processed, not heat treated honey to get the most health benefits. Correct. Okay, interesting. So maybe like a farmer's market or again, a specialty market or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. this, the okay. problem with uh, store-bought honey is also, it's, it's called honey laundering and there really aren't any federal guidelines for imported honey. And that just raises all kinds of problems. When I visited a processing plant, they had 55 gallon drums of honey from all over the world. And the problem is uh, to try and keep the cost down, they can put high fructose corn syrup and other things in it to basically cut it so that they can um, sell it at a low cost. So that becomes an obvious problem when it comes time for the consumer to buy it thinking that they have, they're buying natural honey when that's not really what is in the bottle. Yeah, it makes me think of just a lot of ways that marketing misleads us. Whatever's printed on the front of a package is not necessarily the case, even if it says natural honey. Correct. Pure honey it. really doesn't mean anything. Oh, okay, right. So it's important to, what would you say, turn the label over and read the back or just to find the source of the honey? Yeah, sometimes you can do that. Or like you said, farmer's markets and that kind of thing where you're more likely to find a better quality product. Right. Can you speak at all to the reason honeybees are crucial for the health of the planet? Well, yes, honeys, honeybees are responsible for roughly a third of our food supply. So most of the uh, vegetables and fruit that we consume, I think 60% of them are, are all relying on honeybees to, to pollinate them um, in order to get a fruit or a nut. So if honeybees decline, and it has been a problem uh, since the late 80s, roughly honeybee populations have been struggling, then it could set off a chain reaction of reducing the, the foods, overall food supply and the quality of our food supply. So they're really important to us as humans to exist. Are, so bees, are they still on a steady decline? I know a bunch of people like you have taken up beekeeping to try to help save the bees. I know I used to live in Manhattan and people would do it on the rooftops. Is that at all helping or is it still a really critical issue? I think it's helping. Um, however, it's the, the, there's still honey bee losses each year, um, more than we would like to see. 
some folks are losing, I heard last year, up to 40% of their hives. Hmm. So um, there's a few different factors that are pointed to, but the largest problem for honeybee populations has been the Varroa destructor mite. It's a mite that gets into the hive and reproduces quickly and attaches itself to the honeybee um, and brings in all types of diseases and uh, viruses and will eventually destroy the hive and kill it. Um, mono agriculture, so planting thousands of acres of soybeans isn't really a good habitat for honeybees. And then of course, lastly, the third element is um, the pesticides and the things, the chemicals that bees can be exposed to when they're, when chemicals are sprayed on flowers and things that bees visit for food and they get that on themselves and bring it into the hive and it causes a, a problem. Wow. Well, I'm so fascinated by everything you've shared today. And I know you obviously have a life beyond talking to me on this podcast. <laughs> you got you got bees to tend to out there. Uh, right. But I just ask each of my guests this final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? And you can take that however, which way you want, whether you relate it to bees or not, whatever you think. Well, for me, the health investment, I guess the, the older I get, the more I realize that we all only have one body and that we're given to go the distance with. And so the more that I can learn about ways to be healthy, both physically and mentally, um, that I think is just going to result in, in uh, being happier. And so to me, it's worth the investment to learn about things um, like through your podcast, as well as hobbies like beekeeping, where I can uh, get involved with something that keeps me close to nature, as well as consume a product that is good for me. Yeah, I love that. And through your gracious you know, hobby here, you are also helping the rest of us by providing bees. I still kind of cringe at that thought. I'm just really, this is giving me a new perspective on if bees are bothering me to respect the bee and not <laughs> fling them away. I'm sure, do you ever, if a bee is bothering you, do you just ignore it? Are you just used to it at this point and not fling it away? Yeah, I pretty much, well, usually it's not a honeybee that is bothering you. There are other bees out there that are drawn to sugary sodas or food when you're trying to have a picnic outside. Those typically are not honeybees that are drawn to those things. Um, so uh, I don't really have too much of a problem with honeybees them, themselves. And I try getting, uh, keeping getting sting uh, stung to a minimum. So yeah, that's good. Well, I appreciate the work you do because, yeah, I don't know if I'll be asking for hives anytime soon, but I do <laughs> love learning about it. I mean, really, really fascinating creatures, and it's incredible how much you've learned in just a few short years. 
Oh, it's uh, it's amazing. It's a never-ending process. I've listened to lecturers who have been beekeeping for over 20 years, and it's a, they're full-time. They study it, and they are still learning new things all the time. So uh, I just look at someone who's been at it that long and full-time, and I just say, wow, there's just so much so much more to learn. Right. And I love how you speak to that too, of it's important to not only keep your body in good shape, but also your mind and how cool to have this really interesting thing that you can keep learning more and more about and, you know, challenging your mind. It's that, what a cool hobby. I love it. Well, thank you. I do. Yeah. Too. Well, so if listeners are interested in finding you and following you, are you active on any website or social media? Um, I'm active on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook somewhat. Um, my email address, bobsim at gmail, is uh, probably the best way to get a hold of me. Oh, okay. Um, so bobsim, and then what is your Instagram and Facebook? Um, bobsim, same thing. Oh, okay. Great. Well, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. So if anybody's interested in reaching out to you, um, I don't know. What if somebody wants to buy your honey? What would your response be? <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably find a local, someone local to you uh, to supply it to you. Well, probably that sounds good. The best bet. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and for joining me today and just for sharing all of your knowledge. I learned a ton and had a great time. Well, thank you, Brooke. So did I. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one -on -one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.